Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and once again I am pleased and honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Our shows are available both as podcasts and what we call a radio loop, which is to say, literally, as the, as the thought that popped into your head when I said those words indicates, it is a as though you're listening to a show on the radio that's running in a loop. Uh, The radio in this particular case, though, or the equivalent thereof, is what you get, the feeling you get, the sensation you have when you hit the second link on our homepage. And it brings you to that show running in a loop on a separate computer here in the studio at whatever point that show happens to be. Hence, a radio loop, or at least the feeling of radio, as as many of us many of us still experience it. But certainly, how we were weaned on it when when talk shows were first uh, introduced in our lives, um, picking up a show at whatever point it happened to be when you turned on the dial. That's the idea. That's the feeling. Many people prefer to get their listening experience, certainly to talk talk-type shows that way, and we give you both options. The, what has become, I suppose, traditional podcast version, and, uh, and the radio loop. So either way, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're listening to us one way or the other, and we're pleased to have you. Thank you for joining us, and I would say in most instances, once again, but if you're a new-time listener, I, I welcome you to... Uh, the family of center-left radio listeners. Uh, It is now the 30th of September. 30 days has September and all that, so we're heading into October, the time of the year that I happen to be most... uh, uh, I love the most. Uh, obviously, I love the fall. I, I love the change of seasons. I am not a big fan of 95-plus degree days as as we went through uh, here in New York uh, for just about the entire month of August and then some. Um, my wife's birthday and my own and our anniversary are all in October, uh, so that's, that's uh, kind of fun stuff. Um, and it's just a, a beautiful time of the year. I'm I'm perpetually, uh, not perpetually, but I am I am always deeply moved by a um, by a song called "And When October Goes." It, it is a Barry Manilow, but yes, yes, that Barry Manilow, uh, a beautiful song which I first heard back in the '80s when I was uh, I was working in Chicago. And I can remember in October hearing that song for the first time and being so beautifully moved by it. It it was just one of these delicate thoughts uh, and moody thingies, uh, Manilow frequently being accused of you know, playing or or uh, his audience being consistent largely of uh, 
unhappy single women. Uh, I really uh, had no problem enjoying his good stuff, uh, <laughs> whether or not I fit into the uh, stated demographic or his his uh, his larger uh, or his, his his more significant demographic for his purposes. Uh, very talented guy, Barry Manilow, uh, for all of the joking and everything else that's been done about him over the years. Um, and that song uh, always plays strong. It has beautiful images. I have, I have images of, of actually walking along beaches here in the New York area, finally closed down, finally free of all the massive amount of, uh, of foot traffic and people traffic and, and just the beauty of the of the solitude that begins to set in with the season then at some point peppered by the uh, by the sheer celebration of approaching the holiday season that comes just after october turns the corner and of course, with the uh, with the change of season and the and the realization of the, uh, of the of the meteorological shift in things, the darkness that's getting darker and everything else, uh, the realization that November and uh, the next election is right around the corner as well. Uh, we. Uh, I can remember, it, it really gives me a, a point of reference as to how long we've been on air right now with center-left radio. I, I spent a tremendous amount of time in the run-up to the 2018 midterms uh, going through shows that explained, I felt, to, in, in some detail and with some success, what a danger Donald Trump was to the country what a danger it would be if we wound up with a Republican House and or Senate, especially with a Donald Trump in the White House, and how necessary it was that, uh, that there be Democratic control maintained, at least in the House. We didn't expect at that time that the Senate would go Democratic as well, but it took Atlanta and uh, it took Georgia and Trump's meddling to uh, give that victory, albeit a razor-thin one, uh, and but yet with the benefits that that has uh, that that has provided uh, over the course of the last two years. But here we are facing what others, and I, I think I'll add myself to that list, uh, would also refer to. <laughs> As well, you know, if 2018 was the most significant, well, guess what? 28, 2022 got even a bit more significant in terms of midterms. Uh, my rationale being that this will, this will essentially shut down the, um, the pipeline of rational uh, human human-oriented legislation that could potentially make its way to President Biden's desk um, and, and signal the uh, signal the, uh, the, the, in the likelihood that anything 
other than pure partisan politics will reign supreme. The, the, the chances of getting something to go through both the House and the Senate, through the House with a bare majority, the simple majority that, that's required there, and then to get past the filibuster rules in the Senate, uh, getting 60 senators to vote on it so that it could make its way to Joe Biden's desk. My sense is that if, let's say, the, if the Democrats lose the House but hold the Senate, you're going to see virtually nothing of consequence make its way to Biden's desk. If the Republicans take both the House and the Senate, you're going to see some Looney Tune legislation. You're going to see some draconian, angry legislation. Uh, you'll see Mitch McConnell, if he feels it's necessary, uh, blow away the, uh, the filibuster rule and go with simple majorities where tradition uh, and otherwise would dictate that it should only be done with a 60-vote situation in order to uh, put out laws or attempt to pass laws without having the ex the executive wouldn't sign them on things like, oh, I don't know, uh, you know, anti-abortion legislation for the whole country, anti, anti, it'll, it'll be, it's, it's what you won't be able to do anymore. Or, you know, how bad, how bad things will be for anyone who dares to defy uh, the Republican uh, slash Trumpian slash QAnonish slash uh, irrational way of doing things just to basically appeal, no, to pander to the base in any way we can, to find ways that we can solidify what will be a shrinking base over the course of the next two years, but to make it absolutely committed to the notion of voting for whoever, be it Trump or whatever surrogate of his, ultimately finds its way onto the Republican side of the presidential ballot in 2024. And of course, there's, there's Russia. Uh, it seems that uh, Mr. Putin uh, is committed to digging in his heels ever deeper. Uh, he has, he has, let's see, he has technically... Uh, he is, uh, Moscow has technically conducted uh, elections, <laughs> yeah, uh, in the four regions of eastern Ukraine that it claims uh, have just been dying to make themselves part of Russia. And it is expected within the next day or so that he will officially declare them to be part of Russia. Uh, so that the, the, the Donbras and, and, and three other reason, regions will, according to, pa to Putin's uh, pronouncements, uh, not recognized by anyone else on the planet so far as I can tell, uh, according to Putin, they will become part of Mother Russia. 
and uh, subject to all the protections that would be afforded any other part of Mother Russia in the event anyone read the Ukrainians would be so bold and so reckless as to attempt to actually uh, attack a part of Mother Russia in an effort to re-annex it back to Ukraine. You, you get the insanity, you get the provocation. And this, of course, uh, being linked to Putin's threats uh, to the use of, uh, about the threats of nuclear weapons in the event that anyone, my dear, my, my goodness, would, would dare to attack Mother Russia. Well, no one buys the BS. It's, it's for home consumption, but even home consumption is being messed with by the protests around Russia uh, concerning uh, his draft. Uh, now, now it's no, no, no. It's not a draft. It's it's simply a a reinforcement of. It's a military call up of about three hundred thousand Russians uh, in order to uh, continue and reinforce our special military operation to purge Ukraine of recalcitrant uh, Nazis. Uh, you you got to know that even. With, under the most hardcore uh, type of censorship and the most and the most restrictive kind of uh, of state-sponsored media and all the other propaganda, the 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 reemergence of of, of, the, of the Soviet wonderfulness that passed for uh, for truth and pravda and everything else in Russia. Um, I, I have to believe the Russian people have kind of left that rationale had they've kind of left the uh we're we're purging ukraine of of of, of nazis that that particular rationalization of what moscow is doing in ukraine i think that one's gone um the quick war, the same sort of foolishness that was put out by people like Rumsfeld and and uh, others, uh, as we as America uh, found its way into Afghanistan, into uh, into Iraq, uh, that that has blown up in Putin's face as well. Uh, the uh, the mistakes and the and the and the ugliness. And the number of people simply fleeing the country to avoid becoming fodder for Putin's war, uh, thousands of protests around Russia, this further reinforces the fact that the messaging is increasingly falling on deaf ears, that people get it. Uh, Putin went so far, apparently yesterday, to not apologize, but to admit that errors had been made in terms of the type of people that his uh, his 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 uh, jackbooted types had been attempting to conscript back into the army. They should not have been going with people with men who had more than three children who were beyond a certain age and a few other things. Not an apology, simply an explanation that they may have done it wrong in. In a, in a fit of overzealousness, nothing I would suggest that would probably stop people from trying to cross the borders. Although <laughs> there has been talk that people in cars, men in cars crossing the border into Georgia or wherever else they can get the hell out of the Belarus maybe, uh, 
have been tracked down and handed draft notices as they wait in line to go across border crossings. Not exactly the image of committedness among the uh, f- potentially fighting populace uh, towards the programs and goals of Mr. Putin in Ukraine. I don't know what sense, if any, to make of that or what it portends at this point. Uh, what it leaves, Mr. There's, there's no one there, basically, who, un, who believes Vladimir Putin anymore. Every, I think anyone and everyone understands exactly what the game is here. It's a naked uh, aggression against Ukraine. And it's a question of whether the hardliners who ultimately would want the result without, without any rational you know, uh, justification, they would want the result of that for whatever reason, for, for some uh, immediate political game, for some psychological sense of reconstituting the old Soviet empire, whatever, whatever the case may be. Uh, that that will remain there insofar and as long as those hardliners with Putin uh, remain in power. So what Putin has done essentially is lay all his cards on the table at this point. Okay, uh, and, and oh, of course, we didn't mention the fact that there have been ruptures in the. Uh, in the pipeline going across from Russia to Germany, the gas, the gas lines, uh, they have been ruptured in three or maybe, f- is it four different points in the Baltic Sea? You could see these huge, uh, massive bubblings of uh, gas coming up in the sea. Uh, it's the, the, the ruptures have taken place in, in international waters. So you know anyone can go ahead and, and do it. Everybody is of the opinion, starting with NATO, starting with most other countries. The obvious no, no one has a a smoking bomb, as it were, or whatever would have been used in the hands of Russia in order to make these uh, these ruptures happen. But it's pretty clear that it's Russia doing this, and and the sense being that. Uh, that Russia is looking as rapidly as possible to uh, diversify its sale of uh, gas eastward. They would try to sell to uh, India or China, both of whom are in need of this. On the other hand, uh, both India and China have been made aware by the United States and NATO that any kind of hyper-affiliation with Russia uh, or any recognition on their part of the annexation of the four regions of, uh, of Ukraine that Russia will probably make official or that Putin will make official on behalf of Russia in the next day or so, very likely today, uh, that will result in sanctions, direct sanctions from the United States, the United States being a major, 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 major trading partner of China and a major economic force <coughs> within India as well. And you, you, you see the complications and Putin basically no longer playing to any long-term strategy not that he was playing to a long-term strategy to begin with, 
but basically constantly laying every card he has on the table uh, in a show of apparent show of strength and I guess in a very Trumpian sort of way, uh, tactically trying to get through the day and maintaining some image of power and control and always holding the nuclear saber in the background, rattling it in an effort basically to say, uh, and if all else fails, I'm I'm going to set off a very large bomb. Uh, There is no strategy of any consequence because there is, there's no audience that expects a strategy. Everything that's being done is purely momentary tactical. Annexing parts of eastern Ukraine has no strategic Uh, advantage to it because no one other than Russia and the hardliners will recognize that in any way. There's there's nothing but a it's it's justification more than strategy. It's it's pouting, it's 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 power expression on a tactical level, but nothing that will ultimately lead to a rational conclusion. Uh, Richard Haas from the Council on Foreign Relations was on air this morning, and he said that, and he believes, and, I, and I'm beginning to believe with him, that we should expect this situation, uh, Russia and Ukraine, to slog on well beyond the cold winter coming up, that the Europeans, although it will be difficult and, and, and energy prices will be rising significantly uh, in Europe in the course of this coming winter, uh, there will be other mechanisms found, other ways to, to supply the energy needs, and that Russia will continue to use knee-jerk tactical responses in an effort, or in Putin's effort, to at least uh, shore up his own support, look tough, be hard, until he runs out of options, at which point the only real thing on the table would be nuclear, and that's the point at which the hardliners in Russia have to decide if they want to destroy the country in the name of making it great again. If you were if you were listening uh, to us uh, a week ago, we had a Noble Hearts Forum, a a group of guys uh, from my old high school, Regis High School here in New York, uh, who basically are more than adept and equipped to discuss where Russia goes from here. Uh, and we had, I, I guess, three reasonably differentiated sets of opinions. But the, the one that, that struck me, or, or, or the, the common theme that, that struck me, the, the common factoral recognition that struck me, was that uh, Putin was recognized by these guys, I, I think all three guys, uh, and especially, uh, I remember Rich Corelli, uh, who was a psychi- practicing psychiatrist and, and a pretty good judge of these things. Uh, uh, he, he felt he wasn't breaking the, uh, the Goldwater rule, uh, uh, doing remote uh, therapeutic evaluation of a, of a non-client. Uh, and in any case, it didn't matter because this was somebody out of the country and out of their mind and, 
and not exactly in a position to uh, respond one way or the other and bring a lawsuit or whatever the hell. Uh, Rich was very uh, adamant in his statement that this is a guy who could very well use nuclear weapons, who could easily push a button, who could, without any qualm of conscience, in a, in a need to assert or assuage his own pain, uh, uh, assert his own sense of, of, of diminishing power, for whatever reasons, and we began to trace some of his background, could easily be the guy who pushes a button. A kind of a, uh, and, I, and, and Charles Webble, who was, uh, who was on the show also at the time, agreed. I, I think John Cugini, uh, I'm trying to remember, I have to go back and listen to the tape on that. I think John kind of recognized that as well as a possibility. The interesting thought, I, I think, was this discussion that, that came at the end of that show about whether Putin ultimately <laughs> could become a moderating, huh, a moderating influence on what would the, be the otherwise even more excessive expectations and willingness on the part of the hardline Kremlin leadership, the people, the people behind all the, the bureau doors, the ones who basically are disseminating power uh, on his behalf, but to whom he is largely beholden, much as all Russian leaders uh, in the Soviet system, and that's effectively the system that's been reimposed, certainly on a political level, uh, on an internal political level, that system, the strongman system, who uh, the, the, the strongman who comes and goes rather quickly, can be around for quite some time, but their departure uh, in anything less than a sudden way is a very rare thing, and that's been with rare exception, both of those happening during the time of transition out of the Soviet system, Mr. Gorbachev and... Uh, uh, and it, it, was it his predecessor, I guess, uh, who did not um, meet a sudden demise on the way out of office or, uh, well, the old Russian way in which things were done uh, would be back in play here. And Mr. Putin would have to be aware of that possibility. Would the Russian people stand for the uh, exercise of a, of a nuclear option uh, knowing that the retaliation and the pain that would be felt by them would be significant. Would there be nukes dropped on Russia? Uh, probably not. Uh, NATO and the United States have clearly said that we will not get into literally a nuclear pissing contest back and forth across the Russian border. Um, it's not the way, it, it would be a bad, it would be bad for the world, uh, bad for the future of mankind. It, it would lead pretty quickly to, uh, you know, a few hundred million, if not billions of, of deaths real fast. It, it, it would not be hard to do, but Russia would essentially um, then become uh, a pariah of the planet and everything, everything pertaining to them, anything in the way of trade or, or anything else would be denied. That would have 
hugely catastrophic effects on them, of course, but on the planet to a, to a certain degree as well. I mean, they would have to be frozen off in a way that, well, I, I can't predict. I can't, I can't really imagine what would have to be done, what would be considered a rational response. You, you go back, I suppose, to 1945 and you look at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there was no, there was of course objection raised before and after, I gather, historically, there was a lot of discussion back and forth. Ultimately, it was Harry Truman who made the decision to bomb both those places. But there was no, um, no pushback in the sense that uh, the U.S. was taken to task by anybody after... Uh, well, the war had been going since 1938, essentially, but in, in, for four years that America was involved in it, no one was taken to task about what, um, what ultimately uh, America did to stop something that, uh, an, act of, an, an ongoing act of aggression by the Japanese. Now, granted, a very, very, uh, by then, uh, diminished Japanese force and in fact, the, the use of nuclear weapons at that time uh, was, it was in lieu of, the way it was ultimately explained, as much as Truman explained anything, but the, the, way, the way his people explained it, we can either hit the Japanese mainland and slog this out for another year while Japanese soldiers fight to the death down the line and take out another half a million Americans while we're attempting to subdue Japan completely and stop them from their aggression once or for all. We can leave them alone and let them begin to limp back and begin to rebuild and start all over again. That was a non-starter. So it was either we end this quickly with no more or minimal loss of American life or we, uh, we end it uh, with the loss of maybe another uh, you know, half million men because the Japanese will be defending the mainland. The presumption was pretty safe that they'd be defending the, man, the mainland down to the last person if we took this in a conventional way to the mainland. And on top of all that, of course, nuclear weapons were really unknown. We, no one really knew what this damn thing was. And when it blew up over over uh, uh, Hiroshima, um, it was wow. <laughs> we, we just had people had no real idea of what what the hell it was and what it meant and what its danger was. Even even a few years later, we still had military, our own military, out in the Nevada desert watching, watching nuclear explosions, atmospheric explosions, without any real sense of what the dangers were that were involved from nuclear fallout. So all of that was the case, that, that ignorance on top of the arrogance well, the, the, the sheer force of it, that was in play in 1945. So you didn't have the type of pushback that you would have and that we automatically have now in light of knowing what nuclear weapons can do. 
And all of that, of course, is, is part of the discussion. It's, it's all out there now in anticipation of the craziness that, that well, the, the, the box that Mr. Putin has put himself in, put Russia in, and the threats that he's made. And again, I, I go back to the Noble Hearts Forum that we had last Friday, a week ago. Uh, that would be, if, if, and if, you were, if you're going back to, uh, to listen to that show, that would have been back on September 23rd. It's available on the podcast feed still. Very, very, very much worth your while to check that out. Uh, it's, according to our panel, uh, within the realm of possibility that Mr. Putin, went, uh, realizing he's down to nothing but nuclear options, would, in a, in a, uh, in a sick, calculated, but, but infinitely uh, tactical, infinitely short-range mentality sort of way, find his way, find, let his finger find its way to the proverbial button, and do this, and do something that extreme if it were left to him alone, or if he were being pressured by people within his group. There's, there's, no, there's no rational, logical way to justify nuclear weapons. There's no Truman saying, we'll do this to support the troops so that we don't have to slog it out. Granted, Putin is in that position with his troops, but they are the aggressors and are now in a defensive posture. There is land being land taken in eastern and southern Ukraine, previously by Russian forces, is being lost in a progressive way. And it's, it's, it's not huge, instantaneous uh, retaking of Ukrainian land by Ukrainians. But that's what is going on, and it's, there is no analogy to say, well, we're going to beat the Ukrainians one way or the other. We are ahead of the game. No, no, you don't have that situation where you're really ahead of the game militarily, and then you have a 300,000-man call-up where there are riots and people running out of the country. Putin has none of the... Of the of the uh, of the structural uh, similar no structural similarity to where Truman could have been back in 1945. The only other use of nuclear weapons in a uh, in a war environment before he simply would be backed into this as the last chip, the last card to play knowing, I would imagine somewhere in his mind, knowing that it is the ultimate card and will lead to the demise of everything, but somehow rationalizing and justifying doing that in the name of Mother Russia, uh, going out in a, in a blaze of glory, uh, encouraging others around the world who may be holding tactical nuclear weapons, dirty bombs, uh, giving tacit permission to the rest of the planet, every loony out there, so that they wouldn't be the first to do it. Uh, being a weird, weird, sick kind of role model. My God, what, what could 
the use of a tactical nuclear weapon or a or a dirty bomb what 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 could that set off on this planet the the, the thoughts are, are are well beyond the immediate damage of the one bomb or however many bombs themselves what that would do to a how that would be a a a complete ripping off of any protection, ripping off the cap, stopping, allowing a total escape of the anger and the anxiety and the angst of the planet, and basically inviting anyone else to be as damn crazed as Vladimir Putin. Now, now, now Joe Biden has done all the right stuff here, has responded correctly. He has said that it will be intolerable. We, we, we do not recognize, nor do we tolerate, and we call out completely as a load of crap everything that, uh, you know, everything involving the annexation of the four regions of eastern Ukraine. Uh, we recognize that it's Russia. Well, I, I don't. NATO has said that it was Russia who who uh, sabotaged the Nord the, the uh, Nordstrom pipeline. Uh, whether or not uh, that has been said officially on the American side, certainly it's coming through uh, NATO pronouncements. And and everyone other than Russia knows that the 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 fact that there would be major economic consequences for anybody who basically assists or goes along with Russia in its claims of territory. Now, whether or not that would extend to becoming a uh, uh, a recipient of Russian gas or oil, uh, getting Russian fuel in, in excess uh, as a result of the removal of that possibility for Germany and Europe at this point. You know, the pipeline goes under the Baltic, goes to Germany, spreads outward from there, the Russian, the Russian uh, gas pipeline. Um, I don't know where that goes from here. I don't. I would imagine uh, the United States would make this a difficult situation for China and India. China and India already have their own sources of supply for oil and gas. Neither is a major producer of them. Whether or not they would see an advantage or the, the, the pluses and minuses would add up to an advantage to actually developing uh, gas line, uh, uh, additional gas line resources with the Russians would remain to be seen. My, my guess is uh, we would make it, NATO would make it, the United States would make it as difficult as humanly possible and make the decision as painful as humanly possible for both Russia and China uh, to consider, hey, this is an easier way of working uh, with the Russians, and knowing full well that Putin is on a self-destruct course, that, the, that Russia itself is on a self-destruct course. So would you really want to put yourself in a long-term uh, position of having to become more reliant on Russian fuel knowing that Russia is about to become pariahized uh, around the planet, not that it isn't already, but all the more so, and that any 
pipelines built up, I, the first thing I would look at if I were China or India would be I would be looking at what's bubbling up in the middle of the Baltic Sea right now, uh, gas from ruptured pipelines. Uh, th that would strike me as something that either Russia or China might anticipate uh, resulting uh, in, in, in by no means unforeseeable and probably in a relatively early stage, were they to go ahead and to uh, begin construction of a gas pipeline, to begin to pick up the slack from Mother Russia, where Russia basically is breaking off that supply line to Western Europe. Um, I, I, I don't think it's a great idea. And once again, Mr. Putin is simply boxing himself into a corner and just using his options one by one on a daily, tactical, very super short-range basis until he basically uh, runs out of options except for the big one. Oh, and of course, uh, Hurricane Ian has just uh, is in the process of causing... Uh, I, I guess uh, multi-hundreds of billions of dollars worth of damage in central and northern and to some extent southern Florida as well. It's about to slam into the South Carolina coast as a, as a category one and dump mostly rain and water and that of course is always the, the worst part with hurricanes, uh, the water damage that ultimately occurs. That's that's the biggie. Uh, even when we had uh, we had the remnants of um, uh, what was the storm that came up the coast over here in, in New York about a year or so ago, it was all the water. It was the flooding. It was that that was it. It was all that rain, but the ultimate problem came with the flooding uh, that happened in the region uh, throughout the Northeast. Uh, just <sighs> so many so many wonderful things to. To think about here, um, is that the sum total of what the world is? If, if we go up at 50,000 feet and look down, uh, if you look at how all the vectors are pointing, are they all pointing to a bad, nasty, uh, negative way? We, we, we used to talk about this on this show. I, I can remember in, in, over the course of several years, it was always getting up there to to 50,000 feet and looking at all these vectors, all these vectors that are representative of trends and movements and, and, and things in a positive are all going in one direction, things in a negative in another, uh, the strength of the vector, the size of it, uh, one pulls against the other, things that are sort of in, in flux maybe going in, in directions that are odd and not quite perfectly in one way or the other, but you... But as you learned in, in, in high school geometry, you add up all those vectors to get the sum of vectors, and that gives you an idea, that gives you the statement of what they all add up to. And, and I would still contend, as nuts as it all seems right now, as crazy as American politics is, as crazy as Russia is acting, as uncertain as things are uh, for the Europeans uh, in terms of energy supply, where the winter is going, um, 
as uncertain as uh, things might be in the Far East with China, the, rate, the saber rattling towards Taiwan, uh, as, as uncertain as India's position might be, uh, whatever position Mr. Modi may have uh, and however he might want to handle things, I would, I would suggest that the sum total of all planetary vectors at this point, and, and of course we haven't even come anywhere near talking about climate change and climate problems, I would still suggest that there is hope out there, the possibility of hope that, that people, people can still decide there are there are ways to bring people together and decide to do things in a positive rather than a destructive way that we are not on a slippery slope to perdition certainly not at this point there is the possibility of smarter minds wiser people coming into positions of, of influence, if not pure outright power, and moving vectors, key vectors, in positive as opposed to negative directions. I, I grant you that possibility uh, is a diminishing one, but I would suggest it is still there, and that we certainly can't and we have no right to begin thinking as though we are simply on that slippery slope and that all we're doing is sliding downwards into perdition. All we're doing is watching the loonies in this country and the election deniers and everything else ultimately destroy American democracy. It's, we are not, we are not there I, I hesitate to use the word yet. There are ways to avoid the worst of what is easily promoted as the, uh, the doorstep of perdition, as it were. We can avoid it. We can begin to avoid it by, by seeking hope rather than surrendering to the notion that all is basically lost and that the loonies will take over the the insane asylum and there's not much we can do because then we become somewhat panicked and we become rather amoral ourselves what good is there to do anything why plan everything anything take whatever you can stash it away the hell with everybody else build your own shelter uh, e either mentally or physically, take your or let let's all get together as a group, and we'll be us versus them. We're just you 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 know where all of this goes. We we can't begin as a country or a species to adopt that eschatological approach to life around us or on this planet. It, it's there are reasons not to. Hope is always an option. Hope can be just as infectious as fear and hatred. We can't allow ourselves to simply give in 
to the inevitability of destruction. At least I, I refuse to. Yeah, it may be pretty bad, and it may be, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the 19th, you know, Eve of Destruction, the song from the 19th, and you don't believe we're on the Eve of Destruction. There will always be uh, a series of events and places and people that if strung together with sufficient uh, artistic or, uh, or, or journalistic uh, acumen will lead one to believe that the outcome invariably is one of absolute destruction, that we're going that way no matter what. I, I don't think that is or has to be the case. I think that a a, uh, an argument for the possibility of coming out of a negative time can be made with an equal amount of artistic and journalistic expertise and with an equal amount of convincing on the far end. We simply have to have the will and the desire to continually recreate a positive, hopeful scenario and not surrender ourselves to what all too often begins to seem like an inevitable uh, mess out there. I'm, I, I'm not sure <laughs> if that's any great uh, comfort to anyone listening to this show right now, but I think it's, it's honest and it's truthful and there's no reason to assume that we can't still find hope, even where it would seem um, less likely on, on an ongoing basis. Uh, wow, what a way to approach a Friday. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there's, a, there's a good idea. To think about hope and have a good laugh, and to look out and notice, at least if you're in any place like where I am right now, here I am in New York in the Northeast, it is a perfect blue sky morning. The temperature here a little north of New York City is in the low 50s. Uh, I think I'm gonna go out and take a long walk after, I've, uh, after we've produced this show today, and just be thankful for what we have and know that people before us have come through and will invariably get through far worse than where we are right now and make their way to a positive uh, future locale. The question is how we want to get there. And that's always a question of whether and for how long we choose hopelessness and fear over hope and love. That's really what it comes down to. There is the other side, the positive good side. There is the wrong side of the tracks, as it were. And it all comes as a result of choices. Yes, folks, we still can choose. That is the critical factor. We can choose to make things better than they seem like they're about to be. Let's do it. It's a lovely day. Have a great Friday. 
a beautiful weekend and think loving thoughts. A little jazz. listening to Central F Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Yes, yes, things look awful, things are bleak, it looks as though we're going down a slippery slope, and the path to hopelessness is a very short one. But invariably in human history, we found our way back to light and openness and hope. The trick is to look forward to the longer path to hopefulness and rebuilding and togetherness. It takes will on our part. 